Hello and welcome back to the Dakota Student Podcast. I'm your host, Mason, and I'm joined today with Ben and Chuck. And Chuck is a longtime journalist and he's got lots of experience in the field. He's a great guy and great teacher at UND. I'll let you introduce yourself a bit, Chuck. Well, hello, and uh, thanks for uh, letting me uh, sit in with you guys. Uh, Chuck Haga is my name. Uh, I'm a North Dakotan. and uh, grew up in Valley City, uh, came to UND in 1967, and uh, got a degree in history, and then went to work for a while, came back and uh, got a master's degree in modern European history. Uh, I've worked uh, three, four different times for the Herald. I like to say that that uh, I haven't been at the Herald as long as Marilyn Haggerty, but more often. Uh, I was there from 72 to 76, from 80 to 87, and uh, then I went to the Star Tribune in Minneapolis, uh, where I worked as a reporter and editor for 20 years. Uh, took early retirement in in uh, 2013, returned to Grand Forks because my son and my grandkids are here, and uh, uh, went back to work at the Herald for a few years, retiring finally in 2013 and and uh, 2007 is when I came back. And then 2013, I, 2013, I retired. Uh, but a year or so ago, I returned to uh, the Herald as a one column a week columnist. Uh, and in the meantime, I've been an adjunct uh, at UND in the communication department teaching news writing courses. Um, and I like to point out, uh, especially to you folks, that I was editor of the Dakota Student for Two and a half years, which I'm fairly certain is uh, a standing record. Yeah, thank you, Chuck. So, first on the agenda, we got to check the COVID numbers for North Dakota. And it's uh, last we checked, it wasn't going well. Uh, no, it was not. Um, new share. It looked like uh, yesterday we had a new, a new max number of changes i don't i turned that or i worded that poorly but uh highest number of active cases yesterday 1700 yeah and then if you look at the uh, state we there's a grand total of uh, 10,000 cases so last week i believe the percentage of staff beds available was 14 percent if i'm not mistaken ben was it around there um i believe it was uh now it's down to nine percent I don't know how much that percentage is compared to what the hospitalization beds, though, because they say there's 46 beds left. Okay. ICU beds, which, oh yeah, compared to a couple weeks ago, is a lot higher than what it was before. Yeah, it was down to 14 or so. Yeah, it was something, something around there. Yeah. So it's not going well, but it could be going worse. Um, what are your thoughts, Ben? Why, why is it getting so much worse? Not just in North Dakota, just around the U S as a whole. I think it's because people are just getting tired of it. Uh, think about it, We've now been going the, this month marks seven months since, uh, March, the th- Friday, the 13th in March, when this all started to really go downhill because that was the day, um, for those who haven't paid attention when, I was sitting in the Grand Forks airport ready to come home for spring break and got an email from the aerospace department letting me know if I were to leave, I couldn't apply for the next two weeks. 
And then mm. people remember that that next Monday we were announced that we were going to be online for the rest of the year because before that it was just going to be online for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't come home after spring break. So, with the way North Dakota is looking, what what do you think North Dakota or UND should do, Chuck, in order to prevent this from getting any worse than it already is? Oh, I don't know that I've got the answer to that. I um, my understanding is that uh, is that the university is urging students. Um, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but urging students to not travel for Thanksgiving. I believe that's what they said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, but if they do travel, maybe not coming back after having spent Thanksgiving at large family gatherings. Uh, that second part, I'm not so sure of. I, I know that that's been the recommendation from some folks. Um, I, I'm, I'm concerned about the uncertainty um, because I think that that's having a real toll, taking a real toll on students. <clears throat> I've got students who, who have told me that they do intend to, uh, to leave and not come back. Um, that they're worried, their families are worried. Uh, I've got a student from Norway who is going home because her family doesn't want her to stay in the United States any longer because of how the trends are going. Um, I and I don't really know uh, what advice to give. You know, I I continue to meet in person, although my twenty-five member class, uh, I usually have a attendance between two and six uh, when we do meet in person. And that's fine. You know, I've told everybody, if you if you don't feel safe or comfortable coming to class, we'll do it remotely. Uh, but if you really want to come to class, and many of them say that they really want to be in person, mm-hmm. uh, as long as there are a few of you who want to do that, I'll keep showing up. But the uncertainty is really taking a toll, I think, uh, in terms of stress and anxiety. I agree. Yeah, I uh, I came home expecting to stay a week. And I, you know, my, my roommate said to me when I left, you know, are you, are you sure you're coming back this year? And I, I said, yeah, of course I'm coming back. But I've been here for almost two weeks now. And it's looking like I'm going to stay here even longer. So... I just don't know. I, I have a couple classes that I need to take exams in person, but I'm I'm thinking after Thanksgiving, uh, a lot of professors are going to change that. I don't think we'll be seeing too much in-person stuff at all. No, I I agree with that. I don't, I don't know if you listened to that the uh, staff t- staff and faculty town hall meeting, but they but uh, high-level UND staff revealed that they were on the verge of having to go 100% virtual if they couldn't get all the contact tracing done. Hmm. And that was two weeks ago, and they happened to get some people to do contract contact tracing for them. If not, that would have been the end of in-person classes. And yet, I, I, and then I also then listened to the uh, student forum that happened a few hours later, and they did not even mention that. Hmm. Hmm. So... Do you think students, sorry, I'm trying to think how to word this. You said students didn't even mention it? In the, uh, in the student one, they did not mention that at all. 
Yeah, that's the sort of mixed message that I, I don't think is helpful and, and that uh, uh, I'd hope you folks could could challenge and, and bring some clarity to. Because mm-hmm. the way I view it is if you're going to tell one side one thing, tell the other side the other the same story because it's not going to be helping that you're only telling. Because they were – from watching both of them, it, they, it looked – appeared as if they were downplaying it during the uh, – during the student and parent one saying, oh, it's definitely safe here. Whereas in the staff and faculty, they were like, we're, ne- this, we're near the end of it. Because even if you look at the UND dashboard, the numbers are going back up again. Like in the last four weeks, the highest day of new positive cases was um, October 31st with uh, 54 cases, I believe. Yes, i oh, sorry, 52 cases. So... I wish that there was uh, not just transparency, but I wish we all received the same information all together. I don't know if there's any way to look into how we're doing so poorly with like the infected. Is there a way we can look into how people get exposed and like what's the biggest exposure rate and why? And I don't know. I don't. I, I still think that's what they're t- they're trying to figure out. But there was a report on the Herald today, or was it yesterday? I gotta find it again. Um, that it was bl- that they um, that the that the city was actually blaming the reason for all the cases going up was the students. Wait, did I, why am I put it in, in our? We saw last week that the the age group with the most cases was twenty through twenty nine, mm-hmm. and. That didn't surprise us, you know. We, I think, before that we had that article come out about the the frat parties partying still, and I, mm-hmm. I strongly doubt that they stopped doing their partying. Yeah, there was an article here on the Herald in the government and politics section um, that reads, "The uh, club and pub attracts swaths of college students on weekend nights, and city leaders pinned the August spike in COVID cases on UND students returning to campus, and in turn, Grand Forks nightlife." I think I think there's part of it that the students that are on campus want to have that college experience and aren't interested in just sitting in their dorm rooms all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, in response to that belief that it's uh, students uh, going out for the nightlife, uh, that the city has once again instituted the 11 p.m. curfew. Mm-hmm. Uh, Closing of bars, yeah, that, uh, which, which is a pretty serious blow to those folks, and uh, obviously they're not real happy with it. But uh, the question then is: Are the students who would be partying downtown from eleven to one or two, uh, are they taking that back to private residences for parties, uh, fraternities, sororities, so on? Hmm. I. I don't know. I unfortunately I can't answer that question because I'm not even on the campus. I'm at home, and Mason, you're at home. It's we'd we'd have to find someone who's actually there and who could do a, like you said in the street, our interview of asking what are you, why are you, why are you interested in doing all this stuff, especially with everything going on in the country, because mm-hmm. the country yesterday I believe it was like 135,000 new cases, which is the highest record than back when we were originally setting records. <laughs> Yeah, Ben, and I, uh, I think you're right. 
you know, at least my mentality when I first started writing about the coronavirus and researching it last year, January, um, I cared a lot about it. You know, I thought this disease was going to shut down the world for a bit. And I mean, I, I was writing away, but I think at this point now, people are just kind of fed up with the whole coronavirus topic. And, you know, I don't mean to sound, you know, stubborn or whatever, but they said the, the 14 days till it's gone back in, what was that, March? And here we are months later, and I think people are just kind of fed up and don't really care about the coronavirus anymore. And I think that's why we've seen another surge in it. Well, I don't know if you've seen, but France and England have now put in a one-month lockdown again. Yeah, and England also banned uh, visitors from Denmark, which is, well, it's kind of weird, you know, but the the reason for that is because the coronavirus mutated with minks or something along those lines, hopped to minks, hopped back from minks to humans, and yeah, I think they're calling millions of minks now I, I can try to find the number yeah it's it's definitely watching what the rest of the world's doing and then what we're doing it's like what is the right steps for us to take is the right thing like mm-hmm. uh like Biden's idea of shutting everything down or was it or is it the better of trump's idea of that herd immunity kind of mentality mm-hmm. is uh i know it was a like a Norwegian country, was it Sweden that's not doing any lockdown mask mandate type stuff? Was Sweden, it Sweden or Yeah, it was it was Sweden and I be- memory serves me right, they were actually doing really well up until like a few weeks ago. Yeah. Everything has started to go downhill. But I believe they had also shut down their borders as well. I think it's it's pretty um Unanimous, close to unanimous among the scientific community that there is a great risk that this is going to continue to double uh, in the next several months to the point where uh, in December, January, we're, we're looking at a really dire situation unless we do a better job of, a, of trying to control it. Um, but that faces opposition, a, a variety of opposition from the people who say, well, you're, you're, you're leading to a one world state government that is going to control every aspect of our lives. And this is the first step of you know, the people who say that uh, it's a matter of freedom, of liberty, that they don't want the government to tell them that they have to wear a mask. Uh, and but but also a lot of people who are arguing that the cure is worse than the than the than the virus itself that it's going to destroy the economy uh, and obviously there's a good deal of evidence for that too we have to somehow come to a consensus on on sucking it up and and doing everything we possibly can to slow and 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 stop the curve. Um, as soon as we can. Otherwise, we're going to be looking at substantially higher death numbers, hospitalizations, uh, overwhelmed uh, ERs, and and so on. Yeah, especially looking at, at all the data right now and watching it, how we're going to get up there. It's like we could be at that point where medical's at its limit. Like I believe in 
there's a city in Texas right now where FEMA's actually had to come in and help because the hospitals are overwhelmed right now. Mm-hmm. So we're at the point of when do we when is it when is enough enough? Because there's we've had how many people in the Sorry to interrupt you, Ben, but uh, you, what you guys are talking about just brought this into my mind again. I got my hair cut recently, and I was talking to you know the person cutting my hair about the about COVID and stuff. We were wearing our masks, um, but she said she's heard of some people doing some like COVID party type stuff. You know, like chicken pox parties where you you get everybody along and get them all infected, and then you fight off. You know. And she said that's been happening. I don't know if I believe it, but what do you guys think? Do you think that's a real thing? I've heard anecdotal evidence of, of that going on for actually quite some time. Um, and, you know, the, the attitude that, well, you know, uh, people like me who are old and with underlying conditions and vulnerable, especially to this disease, we should stay home, take care of ourselves and so on. But the rest of the population uh, should just go about life as normal and and everybody's going to get it eventually. And for uh, most people, it's not going to be a big deal. That, you know, eliminates the possibility of of my granddaughter uh, uh, getting it and then passing it on to me. Uh, So am I supposed to go half a year without seeing my granddaughter? it's a tough nut. Um, mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see the new Biden plan. Uh, he says that he's working on that, that, and there's going to be resistance, of course, to that if if it involves more more controls. Speaking of Biden, I guess now would be a great time to talk about the elections. Mm-hmm. So Biden has claimed victory, I believe. And I know Trump said some stuff about it. He's not happy, told him not to claim victory. So even though the election is technically over, do you guys, how long do you guys think we have on uh, actually finding out the results? I know this could be weeks of lawsuits and whatnot, recounts. What are your thoughts? When do you think it'll actually be over? I think it's going to be over when the Electoral College has their vote here in December. Yeah, because I was looking at it in history before this, the longest election to find out the results were were, were the uh, George Bush versus Al versus Al Gore. Mm-hmm. President. I don't know Al, Al Gore, uh, probably Bush too, wanted recounts and had some lawsuits and whatnot. Chuck, with all your years of expertise, have you seen an election like this before? No. No. no, this this was this was this was ugly, um, and and I'm deeply troubled by the the chasm that has been exposed. That half the country um, would give Donald Trump four more years, uh, whereas the other half of the country are appalled at the thought. Um, I, I really think that that the, the devolution of communication is a big part of the problem. The fact that people are relying on their own um, 
tunnel communication. Uh, their their silos, they they their echo chambers. Uh, they don't hear uh, thoughtful discussion of issues and personalities, uh, and consequently uh, are not persuaded. Um, the the name calling, the meanness. Um, I'm I'm really tired of being called an enemy of the people uh, mm-hmm. because I believe in a free, vigorous press that asks questions and and points out contradictions. Um, and uh, you know, I've got friends, people who I, I went to grade school with. You know, they've been lifelong friends who. Uh, I, I don't know if we can have a conversation anymore uh, because uh, our values have so um, have, have been so diverted. Um, so I have an interesting question for you. Um, how much of this like this divide you know between the country, how split we are, how much do you think the media has uh, of the blame? Do you think it should take all the blame or just some or? Certainly not all the blame. Uh, I think, uh, but I think, uh, and it's not the media's fault. It's, it's the fault of how we have uh, moved away from any sense of community uh, and, and uh, a desire to, to learn and listen. Uh, people don't listen anymore. We, we don't debate or discuss. We argue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is facilitated by these silos. Um, you know, I'll, I'll tune in Fox News every once in a while to try to understand where those folks are coming from. Um, and I've had good conversations with people who disagree with me on a number of things. Um, but I think a, a great many of the American people are... are uh, they're only hearing echoes of what they believed in the first place. And uh, uh, they've become so uh, bitter about opposition. Uh, there are people who really believe that, that Hillary Clinton and, and other top Democrats uh, are leading a child uh, sex abuse a ring uh, and 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 things like that and and how do you deal with that or or that um, or that we're working toward a, a one world government uh, that is going to be totally oppressive mm-hmm. um, the 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 spreading of of uh, conspiracy theory uh, usually without any factual basis without any evidence. Uh, has has turned people hard uh, against any kind of uh, alternate opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember 68 and 72 and the bitterness at that time. Um, you know, I, I was close to giving up in 68 when, when Bobby Kennedy was killed and, and Martin Luther King was killed and, and, um, and then in 72, uh, uh, with Nixon uh, returning and uh, um, I remember sitting in the Herald's office, I was working at the Herald at that time and, 
And uh, the fellow who is the Republican National Committeeman for North Dakota um, was standing over me as I'm typing away. And he says to me, uh, Chuck, uh, it's going to be a long night. And my response was, uh, I think it's going to be a long four years. Uh, that that was a not a promising time, I thought. I was disappointed. But it was nothing like how I felt in this election. Um, I, I, I despair for the country. Um, I despair for democracy um, because of, of how incredibly divided we are. Not just divided, but deeply divided. Mm-hmm. I think social media deserves a lot of the blame for that. Um, like you were saying with the echo chamber, I think social media amplifies that echo chamber because they're like on Twitter for some, for example, people who follow all their favorite like political commentators or media personalities, whatnot, they'll just hear the same regurgitated talking points for weeks. And that's all they'll get drilled into their head. And if someone dares say something different, they'll argue with you. They'll shut you down. It's not a debate. It's a yelling contest. Right. And I think, yeah, I think social media has not only like added to the to the divide. I think it it was one of the things that started the divide. You know, it, it's a it's a great forum for communication, but people just don't communicate. They yell, and yeah, it's it's not looking good for the country. Have you guys watched The Social Dilemma? I know with Ben and we talked about that. I haven't watched The Social Dilemma, but going back on going back to before this for a second, um, base from what everything you're saying, it basically reminds me of watching The Great Hack on Netflix that came out last year about how um, Cambridge Analytica was was chain was using everyone's data to, to change the way they view things, mm-hmm. and at how kind of at that point, at least the way I see it, it was that that was kind of the, I be, it's the beginning of the end of social media being actually um, where you can share stuff with everyone. It's more of now they're trying to get you into one viewpoint and then to have you stick in that one viewpoint forever. Because mm-hmm. like you said, all that they would do is they would show stuff that you would like. Like if, if you're on one side, they just show you that one side and all of the information about it and everything that they are for. And then if you are on the other side, they're going to show you everything that they're on the other side. They're going to show everything that they're for, but they're never going to show anything between the two that they're going to have a controversy about because all that they want you to do is agree with them that they are the right ones. Mm-hmm. I would add too. I mean, much of the fault lies with us. We, the people. Uh, I agree. Paying attention, you know, not 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 trying to verify information that we might get from social media. Um, and I I think back to uh, the Brett Kavanaugh hearings uh, in the Senate uh, before he was confirmed to the Supreme Court, and uh, I, I was leading a class, uh, and um, uh, I, I asked a question that had. Uh, some relation to it, uh, and 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 I saw uh, just a blank look on all the students' faces, and and I looked at them and I said, "You know what I'm talking about, right?" And 
or no, I, I think one of the students finally raised her hand and said, we don't know what you're talking about. And I asked, um, how many of you have been watching the Supreme Court hearings? None. Um, do, you, do you know what's going on there? No. Um, and, you know, this is, this is an event that was going to affect the court for generations uh, and uh, affect decisions on everything from abortion to, uh, to immigration to, to all sorts of things that are going to have an effect on these young people's lives for the rest of their lives. And democracy requires some buy-in. You got to have some skin in the game. You got to you got to pay attention because all of these policies that are going on, whether you like them or not, they're being done in your name. That's what democracy is about. So you know we we have to take some of the blame ourselves. We can't blame it on institutions or the media or crafty politicians or sinister politicians and so on. We need to step up. I agree. And specifically my generation, I will call them out. Um, you know, I'll, I've noticed a lot of things throughout my time here at the DS about my generation. And for one, my generation hates news. <laughs> they, they don't like reading the news. They don't like news sources. They don't like mainstream media too much. And if they do, they're normally pretty obsessed with it. If you know what I'm saying? Like, Normally, if someone likes Fox, that's my age, they're obsessed with Fox. They don't just moderately like it. Um, and I think that's where a lot of this, these troubles come in. They don't, they don't like the news. They, I, with how many students we have on campus, uh, 13,000 or so, I, I strongly doubt any of them read the Herald. <laughs> right. Um, so I, I, I don't know how we can build upon that, though. I, most of the people get their news from Twitter and it's the echo chamber. And I don't know how we, we build that we can trust local news outlets. Cause that's my hope for the future is local news outlets. That's hammer them home. I think yeah. that's our, our saving grace, but we need people to read it. Yeah. They, the local news outlets face uh, a couple of incredible challenges. Uh, one economic, uh, you know, they're uh, shedding staff, uh, and uh, finding it difficult to persuade people to pay for online uh, information. Uh, and But along with that, you've got a national leadership uh, hammering home the, the notion that, uh, that you can't trust the media. Mm -hmm. That the media is, uh, is an enemy of the people. You hear that often enough, you start to believe it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, I'll say what you will about Trump. That's been his talking point for a long time now. And I know people said, oh, Obama brought up fake news and stuff like that. Well, Trump says it nearly every day. And a lot of people, you know, are going to believe it. So it's, it's going to be hard to build that reputation back. And I think the best way to do so uh, mainstream media, I think, is lost for good. That's just my personal opinion. Fox, CNN, they're too far gone to save. But I, I really hope local outlets focus on both views, you know? Uh, I can't remember I heard this the other day. Maybe it was from you, Chuck, actually. 
Um, but back in the day when you're reading the paper, you'd have the whole story. There'd be two different sides to it. You evaluate, you make your, your decision, you know, and I, I'm pretty fed up with reading, uh, different information for the same story, just completely different outcomes for the same story when it should be relatively the same. How do you feel, Ben? How do you feel about the media and local outlets? Well, I I feel like I I came across an interesting story a few years ago from, I believe it was the owner of Tegna, where they, there was one story that they ran across, I don't don't know if you know this, but Tegna is a multi-channel owner of several flagship stations around the world running your, like your, uh, CBS is your NBCs and so and so on, and they were running this one story that was I word for word identical on each of those local news stations, and it was like they are literally just feeding you the information that they want you to hear, and I feel like that unfortunately that's what that's the era we're in now, is the the uh, these these big companies now are just only giving you what they want you to know rather than in before when you back when you actually had like the physical paper like you said you had both sides you could read them and you can evaluate them i feel like we're there there's going to be this resurgence of these little type these little newspapers that are going to come around because they're able to offer multiple opinions that people are actually interested in that are from people similar to them they're not this major big-time news celebrity that sits on television and gets paid millions of dollars just to have a two-second conversation with someone. It's the people who are actually going out there and doing the research and understanding what's going on in this country. And I feel like it's not going to be like a, a, a light switch kind of deal, but I feel like over these next few, probably these next 20 years, we might, we'll see this change of mainstream media is going to start going away and we're going to get the, the resurgence of these smaller local news stations being able to tell stories on both sides. Well, um, that's going to require people being willing to pay for it. Um, mm-hmm. The news is not cheap. If you're going to do it uh, with with verification and, and uh, authentication uh, and balance uh, and, and rigorous reporting and editing, um, I disagree that the mainstream are all going to go away or that certainly I don't agree that they should. Um, but, but, uh, it, it costs and it's gotta be supported. Journalism has to be seen, uh, quality journalism has to be seen as a value, as a valued, uh, institution. Uh, we've got to get around that corner and then we've got to figure out ways to pay for it. Um, a lot of that can come on a local basis, on a smaller, uh, more focused basis. But again, that has to be paid for. Um, you you got to be able to hire good quality, trained, uh, uh, ethical journalists. Uh, and you've got to distribute the news and, and do all the rest of it. It takes, it takes uh, support. And I don't, I don't see a willingness to support it. I'm, I'm really tired of all of the carping that goes on about the Herald uh, because, you know, I read the Herald every day. I'm not part of it anymore except for one silly column a week. But um, 
they're doing some good work, just like the Dakota student is doing some some decent work. Uh, and um, I think a lot of the criticism of the Herald is uh, people justifying not paying for it uh, or not having to deal with uh, recycling. Uh, and they don't read it. I, I think a lot of the people who are critical of the Herald, mostly critical of the Herald, aren't even looking at it. They don't realize that it, the Herald is doing some good, decent work uh, on the COVID, for example, and on the school system and how they're responding to it. I, I, you know, I don't know what the answer is. Uh, you, you've got to be able to get get the, the, the good out in front of people so that they see the good and they see the value in it and are willing to pay for it. And I'm, you know, I'm, I was never part of the financial aspect of running a newspaper. So, you know, I'm, 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 I'm clueless there, but uh, somehow we got to figure out a way to make that pay. I think uh, it's actually interesting. I was talking to my mom about this the other day. Uh, she was trying to read the Grand Forks Herald, actually. She's like, oh, I hate how there's a, a paywall, you know? Mm-hmm. You need to pay to read it. And I said, well, you can thank Adblock for that. I'm, you know, Adblock has probably killed a lot of local papers simply because, you know, why have ads when everybody blocks them? And so that's, that's interesting. I don't know a way around that because no matter how hard you preach, you know, don't use Adblock, people are going to use it. And... Honestly, it's killing businesses. So it's hard to think about finding a new source of revenue for a a newspaper, especially when approval for media is at an all-time low. Um, Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see in the next few years. Um, Hopefully it gets better. Yeah, the, the people who whine, uh, this is an important story. Why won't you let me see it uh, without having me have to pay for it? And, and I want to shake them and ask them, do you try that at the grocery store? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I need this food. Why won't you let me have it for free? Yeah. I feel like uh, the, 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 the one option you could do is maybe you have uh, – for some of these guys, for some of these companies, of you have a hybrid tier of if yes, you may not pay for it, but maybe if you have like a big major story that you want to have spread out to people, you you that you don't have that one behind a paywall, so that way, this is a ma- a big story that we're covering here, and everyone can see it. Okay, a lot of, a lot of papers are doing that, you know, especially with COVID. And, oh, my, and- oh, totally. Yeah, uh, and uh, um, hoping, you know, they usually add a line saying, you know, if if this is valuable to you, please consider subscribing and supporting local journalism. I, uh, but I don't know how well that's working. I don't know. It, it sounds like a good system. I hope it's going well. Uh, you know, theoretically, it makes sense, but humans are tricky, tricky beings, so it's hard to tell thank you for tuning in to the dakota student podcast we'll be back next week with some more news and thank you to chuck for tagging along and being our guest i hope you all have a great day and we'll see you next week <laughs>